Exodus chapter 17. Let's start with the word of prayer, um, and then we'll read our passage and get to our message. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts truly be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We thank you for this gathering. I thank you for my friends, my brothers and my sisters. Uh, what a joy it is to just be in the same place, to journey together, to love together, to experience and discover together. And once again, uh, this evening, God, I ask for your spirit to just move us. These stories are rich with so many levels of message and meaning and power, instruction and guidance. And our lives are made better as a result of these stories being passed down. So I pray that our hearts and our souls would be postured in such a way as to hear from you, to receive from you, and that as audacious as it may sound, God, as a result of studying your word, may we truly be different people tomorrow than we were today as a result. So speak to us. We have ears and we have hearts and we seek to listen and to learn. And we pray in your name. And everybody said, Amen. Verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? This passage in Exodus, at the very beginning of chapter 17, documents the third grumbling of Israel against God. They've been out in this desert for not a very long time, and they're grumbling against God for the third time. This third time seems to be the culmination of either impatience or kind of reaching the end of your rope, both for Moses and for the Lord. And what I want to share with you is why I think that is and what we can learn from that. The importance of this third grumbling is so important, it's actually mentioned later on in the scriptures as one of the examples, one of the passages that you can look back and say, this is where the people truly went wrong. This is where they got off the rails. This is where they lost their natural mind. And it is a remembrance of, don't ever be like that. This is from Psalm chapter 95, and it starts off beautifully enough Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. But later on, starting in verse 8, it mentions, Today, if only you would hear his voice. 
Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did, which is really important. Remember last week we talked about this. You would think by now, given all of the signs, given all the wonders, given everything that God has done through this story, that these people would finally get it, would finally know, would finally understand. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. They shall never enter my rest. How many of you have ever complained? Let me, let me ask this question And why don't you meditate on it for just a few moments? When was the last time you complained? When was the last time you grumbled? When was the last time something in your heart stirred and you were frustrated, angry, disappointed, scared, fearful? And as a result of that circumstance, situation, posture of heart, you were throwing your fists to the sky or saying words that you would never say in some particular context, new words are coming out of your mouth, have you ever experienced that? When was the last time you complained? Have you ever had that moment where you're at frustration point and you're just crying out to the Lord? Um, I work at a school in the principal's office. There is actually this sign on his door, complaint form. Please write your complaint in the box below write legibly. And it is a little box about this size. When was the last time that you complained? And I want you to picture an image, that moment, that feeling, that circumstance, that person. Get that person in your mind, that situation. Maybe it was customer service. And it just wasn't working for you. And you you thought to yourself, I'm going to make another call. And this next call is not going to be a very pleasant call. Maybe it was a technological piece of frustration where something just simply isn't working for you. And you started to complain about this device. If only this thing would just work. Or if you're tech savvy, maybe you're complaining about the people that are running the technology. Intel inside, but there's an idiot outside. You complain about the people. Maybe your last complaint was about a job, a vocation, something it is that you were called to do. Maybe it was the way in which you were treated at work. Maybe it's somebody to whom you had frustrations with or are getting, not getting along with in your workplace? When was the last time you complained? Now let's push it a step further. Because some of these are fun and funny and everyday frustrations, and we all have them. But what's happening to the Israelites out in the desert is the absence of water. Think about that for a second. And they're complaining about that. So let's push this a little bit further. When was the last time you complained? Maybe the last time you complained was truly about some sort of injustice that was happening in this world. 
Maybe it was about something that went on that you knew wasn't right, and there was nothing you could do about it, and you were caught in the middle, and you were the victim of it, and you had to pay out, and you had to suffer, and you had to bear all the consequences while somebody else who was truly in the wrong didn't have to do anything, didn't face any consequences, no accountability. When was the last time you complained? Maybe it was injustice. Maybe the last time you complained was actually in a religious setting where there was abuse, there was something that a church leader did or an institutionalization of religion that truly caused hurt, pain, suffering. And as I mentioned before, what's fascinating about this complaint about the Israelites in the desert is not something that's simple. They're complaining about water. This is something that we as Californians know very, very well, right? We're in this situation now in which there's letters going out by municipalities regarding rationing. We're concerned about the economy and what that's going to do to agriculture. We're having to time our showers or watch what we eat as a result. And then there's uprisings. For example, if you haven't heard about the Nestle company continually to bottle California water to ship it outside of state, and the uprising and the complaint that is happening as a result of that. When was the last time you complained? This is what's going on in this passage. Complaint after complaint after complaint. Grumbling after grumbling after grumbling. And what's fascinating to me is that oftentimes, and we'll get to this in a little bit, oftentimes we see the complaint and the grumbling as the primary problem that these Israelites are facing. But again, as I mentioned, they're complaining about water. They're complaining about life. They're complaining about something that if they don't get it, they are literally, physically, actually, in reality, going to die. So this isn't a superficial kind of complaint. This is a very real kind of thing. What I'd like to do is go through a couple of these passages and point out some of the clues that we find in this text of Exodus 17 and see if we can dig down deeper into what's going on. Because as I've mentioned before, This is the thing, the complaining, the grumbling against God is the thing. But what is the thing that's behind the thing? What is the thing that's driving the complaining and the grumbling? A couple things to note. Number one, they complain with Moses in Exodus 17.1, which is a very fascinating phraseology because it doesn't say that they complained to Moses, they complained with Moses. And there's a beautiful ambiguity in that text. And maybe you um, would understand that if you are a head of a household or if you're head of a business or you're head of a family, whatever it is, if you happen to have a charge of leadership in a particular capacity, you probably get the ambiguity of this with. That the people around you are complaining, but yet something about you is also complaining with them about the circumstance, about the situation. And so somehow Moses is implicated in this complaining. He's not exempt. Now, he's going to defend, he's going to argue, he's going to be the voice. But something beautifully ambiguous about this phrase, especially in the Hebrew, is it that they are complaining to Moses, which is a possible interpretation, but it seems likely that they are also complaining with him. In other words, Moses himself, as the leader, as the symbol of this group of people, is also coming to wit's end. And then this little clue, which is frustrating for me because every English translation that I looked in does not have this correct. So I'm going to try to correct this for you. And I know that's a very audacious statement to say, but you can double check me on this. But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Those pronouns are not exactly correct. 
There's a shift, an intentional shift in this passage from a plural pronoun to a singular pronoun. It looks like this. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make me and my children and my livestock die of thirst? There's a movement from a communal sense of circumstance to a very real personal sense of injustice, of what's going on with me personally. And I can imagine that all of you, in thinking about the situation and the circumstance in which you last complained, whether it was injustice, whether it was a horrible situation at work, whatever it was, you can see very, very clearly how the group is grumbling and complaining, and we collectively together have come out, but ultimately this is going to affect me. And there's a very personal, real sense of individual injustice, individual complaining that comes along with it. A shift from communal to individual. In Exodus 17, 5, the Lord begins to answer. God begins to answer the grumbling with Moses. And he first says, go out in front of the people, which is possibly a way of God initiating a response. What was Moses' first complaint or what was Moses' fear? These people, what am I supposed to do with these people? They're about to stone me. So one of the first steps as a leader, this is a leadership lesson here, is that God says, Moses, don't just come here behind closed doors. Let's have a closed doors meeting. No, he says, go out in front of the people. First to perhaps say, say to Moses, I will protect you from the grumblings of the people. But also, second, Moses, you're a leader. You have to stand out in front of the people. If you are going to remedy, if you're going to be my representative in remedying whatever it is that's going on with this complaining, you must be before the people. Literally, in front of their faces. In front of their faces. And then it ends with this particular passage. Is God among us or not? Is God among us or not? Now, some of you are wondering, why is there an image of cabbage? Because it's a little bit of a tangential story. The word for close in Hebrew is korov. The word for cabbage in Hebrew is kruv. And I was at a table once with our Israeli tour guide, and I asked him for the kruv, but I actually said korov. And he looked at me very strangely as if I had just asked him, would you please be close to me? <laughs> so every time I hear about closeness, I can't help but think of cabbage and can you be close to me? <laughs> but anyway, they asked this question, is God among us or not? And the word amongst us is literally that word, is God close to us? Is God with us? This is the main question that they end with from their grumblings all the way through. Okay, let's dig in a little bit deeper. Now, as I mentioned before, mentioned before, this is the third great complaint of Israel. And all of them, again, legitimate. These are grumblings. These are complainings about things that are real life issues. The first in Exodus 15, 24 has the word yilonu, which has the root of the L and the N or the lamed and the nun. The second is the Exodus 16.2 passage where it says yilinu, which comes from the same word. It's exactly the same root. They complained, they grumbled against. But here in Exodus 17, something radically shifts. And for those of you who know biblical story and biblical narratives, three is a really important number. Something happens on the third time. Something happens every, every time there's a three. There's something significant that's going on. So this is one of those clues. 
uh, they complained, Yilonu. They complained, Yilinu. They complained, Yerev. A completely different word. A completely different word to signify. There's a shift in this grumbling. There's a shift in this complaining. It's not just complaining anymore. It's not just grumbling anymore. It's not just an outcry anymore. Something radical has shifted with the hearts and the minds of these people. Maybe legitimately, but something has changed. The, the root word is riv. Okay, what does this word riv mean? Well, reeve has all sorts of connotations. It can mean to dispute. It can mean to complain. But it also has a judicial connotation, a judicial definition, meaning I'm taking you to court. I'm contending with you. And it almost has this sense of an indictment. I am bringing a charge against you. Um, And then in some passages in the Hebrew Bible, it actually is used for a word for lawsuit. I am bringing this kind of thing before you. Now catch this. The first couple times that the Israelites are grumbling, the, the vocabulary is indicating that they are simply crying out. They're crying out to God and saying, listen, we don't have this. Is there any way we can get help? Listen, we don't have this. Is there any way that we can get help? Listen, we don't have this. Is there any way that we could get help? And here in Exodus 17, something shifts. And if you notice, they don't cry out to God. They cry out with Moses. And it's not, hey, God, we need something here. Could you help us out? It is. That's it. We're done. No more. I'm bringing something now against you. And I've been through this before. I've been through this before. We've gone through this. I've seen it a couple times before. I'm not doing this again. And now it's an indictment. Now it's something that's welling up within who they are. It's no longer just about their circumstance. Now it becomes a shift to the relationship that they have with God and ultimately who they are in relationship with this God. In other words, there is a big difference between complaining and rebelling. Big difference between complaining and rebelling. Now, it's really important to understand there are some things that this entire complaint narrative is predicated on. There's some foundations that are assumed in this text. Number one, it is assumed that God exists. Oftentimes in the complaint world, when we complain against God, it is used sometimes, depending upon the circles that you run in and the philosophical arguments that you'll have with friends or coworkers or people online, complaining about God is often an argument about whether or not God exists. That is not what's going on here. It is assumed that God exists. Number two, it is assumed that God actually has the power to do something about this. Remember the entire Exodus narrative of how the Spirit is coming down, God is freeing them, He brings about these signs against Egypt, He parts the Sea of Reeds, He shows up in all sorts of signs and wonders, He causes Moses' staff to turn into a serpent, all sorts of things. So we know that this is predicated upon God's power. We know that God exists, we know that God has the power. This complaint is not, God, can you? I don't know who you are. This complaint now moves radically into a new category where we are now questioning, who really are you? And who are you in the midst of this world? And who are you in the midst of who I am? And who are you in the midst of my needs, my desires, and everything that comes that is necessary for life for me? Who are you? Really, truly, who are you? And this third time, this shift in language, the third time, The Israelites are no longer just complaining about circumstance. They are now complaining about this God, who he is, 
and what kind of relationship they have with him. So here's a couple of the clues. We've talked about a couple of these before. First, they complain to a third party. That's the Moses. So they've lost all sense of conversing with God at this particular point. That's a key clue. Number two, they are starting to question Yahweh's entire agenda. Really, did you bring us out here to die? Now, we've read this before, but put that together with the change of language about the complaint, and they are really serious about this entire thing of what it is that we're doing. I'm out. Don't want to do this anymore. Not trusting in who you are. And then there's this little clue that they are no longer just complaining, they're actually bringing a test, which is why there's Meribah and Masa, because Masa can mean test or trying. And here's the radical shift. Here's where the rub happens with this complaint. And here's what's really critical about why in Psalm 95 and in other passages, this moment at Meribah and Masa become really, really critical and why it's looked back upon and said, don't ever be like this. Because to put God on trial in this particular way, in this particular sense, is actually now for the Israelites to question their entire existence, their identity, their entire worldview is now on trial. I don't even know what this God is going to do in this world. I don't know how I fit in this world. I'm out here left to die. And I think it's connected to why they're complaining about water, which is about life. In other words, it is to encapsulate the entirety of how you view the universe and your place within it. I know that might seem like a large leap, but again, all throughout these passages, things are getting more and more present with God's power, but the Israelites, in the midst of seeing all that, are starting to grow more distant and more complaining and more uncertain about the relationship that they have with this God. Implicit in this questioning, with this word, the riv, the complaint, the accusation, the indictment against who God is. Implicit in this questioning is their entire world view. And they don't know who they are. They don't know who God is. They don't know what existence means anymore. The posture of their perspective, their bias, their entire attitude towards everything. That is what is richly imbued and woven in. Is God even with us? Or is he not anymore? Where am I? Who am I? Does this even make sense? Does the world, is the world good? Does my life matter? Am I worthy of love and acceptance? These would be some of the modern ways in which we might put this question. You've been complaining, you've been complaining, you're complaining, and all of a sudden, all of this, all of this is now starting to be put into question. Think about this for a second. You've been at your job, you've been at your work, you've been in that situation, you've been in that relationship, and all of a sudden the complaints begin to rise up, and all questions begin to ensue, and all of a sudden in your mind doubts begin to form, and you have that complaint form, and you have that grumbling form, and all of a sudden it's not just about the community, it's about me. And once you start to think about this place that I'm in, the circumstance that I'm in, all of a sudden this complaint isn't just about circumstance, this complaint is about who who am I? I mean, is anybody even noticing me anymore? Am I even valuable? Am I even worthy anymore? Am I even noticed anymore? This is the shift from circumstantial complaint to what I would call an identity crisis. 
Who am I anymore? I don't even know. I can't even find my own bearings. Now, this particular shift doesn't happen right away. It is definitely a slow fade. Um, Sorry. It's a slow fade. It doesn't begin right away. It's not like they came out of Egypt and all of a sudden had an identity crisis. No, this is what happens to the Israelites slowly over time, over a short period of time. Event after event, disappointment after disappointment, no water, no food. And then pretty soon we're going to get to the Amalekites, then the Egyptians, and that entire narrative. And I would imagine all of us resonate. Somewhere in our hearts, somewhere in our spirits, we resonate. Yeah, this is definitely what's going on. So much complaining, so much grumbling. Thinking back to that situation or that circumstance that you're in, and all of a sudden you find yourself questioning even your own identity, your own place in this world, your own worth, your own value. Does anybody even notice me anymore? This is the fade. And what happens in this place for the Israelites is that the identity of who they are ultimately shifts from their perspective being, I've been rescued and redeemed by the hand of God, that's the Exodus 6 passage that we've talked about before, to an obstinate, complaining people. I think there's a key in that because the name, uh, Moses gives this place a name. He names it after their grumbling. The word reeve is found right there, and the, the prefix me, me riba, comes from their complaining. In other words, their complaining was so bad, and their crisis of identity so rich and so thick, that the very ground that they were standing on had to be renamed. Have you ever felt that? That you've shifted from complaining about a circumstance to now questioning your own identity. Who am I? Your own value, your own worth. I think this is one of the most powerful lessons of the Israelites traveling through this wilderness. They're complaining about very real things. The injustices that we talked about before, workplaces that we... These are very legitimate complaints. Nobody's going to take anything away from that. There are things that we need to complain about. But then there's a shift that happens from complaining about something to all of a sudden being identified as somebody who just simply complains. You can't get any other sense of identity out of yourself. And the shame that I think is from this passage is that many times, and I've heard these sermons, I'm sure you have, or you've heard these lessons, that this particular story is a lesson in don't complain. It's all about the moralism. It is not about not complaining. Listen, we talked about legitimate complaints that are there before. Um, And this is much bigger than just simply complaining. Think about this for a second. What is God doing in the Israelites? What is he pushing for? What is he striving for? This isn't just about how you need to morally, ethically behave. And, I, and I'm so heartbroken sometimes that the lessons that we take out of this are just about how you need to be better at not complaining. And a finger is pointed in your face about how that should not be. Think about the grand narrative. Think about the story. What is God doing? He's building a nation. And he's crafting a people free from oppression out into this world so that, they, so that they can be his representatives wherever they go. And if they have an identity crisis, 
and they are no longer known as children of God, redeemed by God, owned by God, married by God, if that's not their fundamental identity, if that's not how they fundamentally see themselves, then they will not become the nation that they need to be. This identity crisis is not about just being moral. It's about what kind of people are you going to be and how are you going to represent Yahweh's goodness into this world. So I hope that you don't just hear about or sense fingers being pointed at you that you need to stop complaining. That's not what this is about. This is about identity. This is about purpose. This is about meaning. This is about community. This is about what is God doing in and through the world, and can I get on board with that? So let's take a look at these again. When was the last time that you complained about all these things? As we mentioned before, these are legitimate complaints. These are things that you should be complaining about. Injustices happen in work. Bad things happen in this world. Incompetency is rampant, and we should take care of that. And we should rise up, and your voice is needed to be heard. Your voice is necessary to complain against all these things. But the shift that happens in this particular passage that I think is so important for us is this. They end this passage. They end that segment. Remember, we want to know if, is God even with us? They are questioning now the entire agenda of this world, their worldview, their identity. If bad things are happening, if my job is like, okay, who am I and how am I in this world and what's really going on? That's the crisis that is happening. And this is the shift that we're going to see and the the push of the narrative of the Exodus story. In a nice pithy way of saying it, you can take the Israelites out of Egypt, but it takes a long time to take Egypt out of the Israelites. Many of you have probably heard that before. And this is one of the things that you got to take out. They end with, if God is with us. And many of us actually complain about our circumstance, about the situations with this in mind. If God is, I don't even know if God is listening, if he's here. Shifting to this change. Because God is with us. Because of God's goodness, because I know about his justice, because I know about compassion, because I know about liberation, because I know that this is who God is, now I'm going to complain. Because of who God is, that should not be. Because of who God is, this situation, this circumstance needs to be addressed, needs to be redeemed. Because of who God is, this needs to change. And this is the shift that is going to happen with the Israelites and what God is going to be pushing for in the hearts and the minds of the people. They finally get to this point after the third complaint that they throw up their hands and they just go, well, I don't even know if God is even around. And they just begin to complain. And they begin to be identified as complainers. And the reason why you look back upon this and say, this should not be, is because they've lost all sense of identity. They've all lost all sense of covenant relationship with God. They, they don't have that anymore. It's gone. Meribah, out of their complaining, this is who they are. And God wants to get them to this shift because God is with us. And if you start with the identity, and this is going to come later on in the passage, you'll see in later in chapter 17, and then especially later on in chapters 20 with the covenant of the covenant and the Ten Commandments in Mount Sinai and meeting God. 
because God is in our midst, because of this, this is now how we are going to act and live into this world. This is now what we're going to complain about. This is now what we're going to uprise about. That injustice needs to stop. Not the injustice complaining, well, I don't even know Jesus. God even hears what's doing. No, that injustice needs to go because I know that God is righteous, because I know that God is just, because I know that God is compassionate, because I know God cares about the victims of that injustice. That's where I'm going to complain. So, you have your envelopes. Inside your envelopes, this is something that you can take with you, and I'm going to encourage you. The main driving problem with the Israelites is the question of their identity and who they see themselves. And what I'd like for you to image or picture, if you would indulge me with the analogy, is I want you to consider your envelope to be you. This is who you are. The envelope is you. And inside of you, Inside of each and every one of us is our complaint form. Yes? I'm sure all of us have, you're like, why is there only one card in here? (laughs) Inside all of us is a complaint form. However you want to do this, this is kind of what I was thinking. On that form, write down, reflect. This is the thing that I'm really complaining about. This is the thing in life that really needs to be fixed. This is the thing in life that I'm so frustrated with, I can't stand it anymore, and it's got to get changed. That's your complaint, complaint form. And then on the second, on the white piece of paper, it says, because God is with us. What I'd love for you to think about, consider, is to shift the complaint form, which is a legitimate complaint, to now with the mindset of, Because God is with us, here's how I can respond to that complaint because I know that God is here. Here's what I can do. Here's the kind of response I can give to that complaint. Not if God is here, but because God is here and among us. I know God is here. I want to strengthen my relationship, my covenant with God. And even though both of these are within me and I'm constantly going to be shuffling them around, I want to pull out that because God is with us card every now and then and said, this is my starting point. And I do not want to be like the yellow card, which is like the Israelites who say, I don't even know, completely lost all sense of identity. Take those home, one or two, whatever you like. And in your own time, in your own space, and maybe even during the song, if you want to jot some things down, Um, please feel free to do so. I want to close with this particular passage, Philippians chapter 2, which comes later on. But this is one of those famous passages that is used that is to oppress or to try to share, you're not good enough, stop complaining. But in the light of this grand narrative of the Scriptures, I hope that you can see this as, you know what? I don't ever want my identity, my worldview, my place in this world, how I see my meaning, my purpose, to ever devolve, slow fade into just complaining. There's something much greater, much more powerful, much more meaningful. And if I can grab hold of this reality, knowing that God is with us, I can look out into the world of injustice, out into the world of things gone wrong, out into the world of things that are just not right, 
with a whole new sense of identity, a whole new sense of worldview, a whole new sense of attitude regarding those things. Philippians 2, 14 through 15. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. And here's the key. So that you may become blameless and pure. Here's the key phrase. Children of God. That's your identity. Your identity is not as a complainer. Your identity begins as a child of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And just like what God was doing in nation building and pushing the Israelites out into the world, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And if we can embrace this new ethic, this new way of living into the covenant of God, then we can radically shift from a giving up indictment sense of, I don't even know if God is here, to shining like stars, to bringing the hope and the love and the redemption of God into this world. If we can avoid and we can embrace this new identity. And we start with, because God is with us. Lord, I thank you for the story of these amazing Israelites. And if we were there, we would be doing the exact same thing. And many of us, even in this time and place, have. Challenge us, move us, help us to regain a new identity, Lord. Help us to understand greater who we are. And may we never, never, never slow fade into such a dismal state that our identity becomes just simply a grumbling and complaining people. But help us to become more and more identified as your precious children, known by you, loved by you, commissioned by you to be in this world. Pray in your name.